0: Zach, these barren walls, mm. man, they uh they bring mm. up some some memories. Yeah. This is the last intro that we're recording in our podcast studio. That we built. We built this city on rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, I'm honestly I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm really I'm so sad. I am too. I'm sad for for what this means. We gra- we graduated as we talked about and yeah. <laughs> We're moving our on. podcast studio is coming to an end. We're it's moving fine. out of our university and into like, you're going to get married, dude. Dude, I know. Like the real life is hitting differently right now. It'd be hitting different. <laughs> I, I like don't know what to say or do. I know it, it just it's I, str- I struggle to think that life could be better than the past four years. I know. And that's a hard issue. And I'm working through it. But I think it gets better. I, I think so, too. I don't know how. And the Lord's got some cool plans, but I think it gets better. But what's also cool is this podcast has taught us so much about listening and learning and, and sitting at the feet of great leaders to to one day become a great leader because we've prepared to be a great leader. And we hope that this has been a resource to you guys. Yeah, uh, We're also not saying that this is the end. We're gonna no, 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 no. La- we're sentimental. Let us be wait, sentimental. Let us let us let us don't be in judge. our feels. Don't judge. Me. Let us get in our feels. But I, wa- I do want to say is though we're leaving these studio walls, the learning doesn't stop. The learning doesn't stop. And we're going to have a new studio. Yes. I mean, it might be over Zoom every once in a while. I might drive to your house, even though you're getting a dog. (laughs) My arch nemesis. If if in the next couple uh... introductions I'm sneezing, it's his fault, people. (laughs) That's actually really funny. But symbolically, we're leaving the studio. A a new chapter is being opened. And this chapter is being closed. It is. And that's okay. That's okay. Been one of the best. It has. Thank you for going on this just journey with us in mm. college. Mm. Y'all have heard some of our greatest college memories. And honestly, there's more to come. There's way because just because college is over does not mean the memories will mm. cease. The best is yet to come. It is. If you let it, if you let it, just stick around, follow us on all social medias. We've yeah. talked to you about this before, but it's uber important that you stay connected with us yeah. as we leave this, this podcast studio behind. Life's about to get crazy. It's going to get cray. Mm. You know what? Um, I tried this one chili, and it sent my- <laughs> That got you off guard. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your oh, you host, know that's Zach- true. I'm your host Zach Funderburg. Here with my co-host Koopy. It feels good for you to call me Koopy, man. (laughs) One last one last Koopy in the old podcast, dude. These barren walls. I know. So anyway, we gotta get to an episode. I know. It's like we can't just stay in the past. No. Moving moving forward to the progress. Progress. Yes. And speaking of progress, we have the one and only Kathleen Laval. Kathleen is the executive director and CEO at Dallas Casa here in Dallas, Texas. Casa stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. And what they do is they come alongside, walk with children who are who are in troubling homes or they've been taken by CPS or, or they're in the foster care system. And their goal is to empower the child through the power of hope. And and she gets to tell me a little bit about that in the interview. And their mission and what they do is incredible. It's it's inspiring. And when I was done talking to her, I, I wanted to get out and, and go serve with them. And so if you get a chance, look them up, see what they do, see how you can be a part, how you can help out uh, with their efforts. But how I found Kathleen is also actually funny. There was a, a story written about her in Dallas, Costa, in the Dallas Morning News and what they were doing during this coronavirus pandemic. And I, just through reading that article, was inspired. So I immediately looked them up, emailed her, and she was so kind to, to take some time out of her day to do this with us and to be with us. And when I was asking her executive assistant, Mandy, what I should talk to Kathleen about, about? What what does she excel in? What is she passionate about in, under the umbrella of leadership? And this is what Mandy says, and I quote. As a Dallas CASA employee, I can say that she excels in inclusivity and creating a positive work culture, even now in difficult times. And that is what leaders do. Just like Kathleen takes a difficult time, takes something that's hard, a pandemic, an economic crisis, racial divisions in our country, and she brings her team together and they push forward towards progress. That is a leader. And that's why we invited her to be on. So we talk about what it looks like leading an organization through and embracing diversity and inclusion because that is what a lot of leaders are going to need to know and learn moving out of this time. How do we create a work environment that is inclusive for every culture, celebrates everyone's background, and moves together at unity of a team? That's what our country needs. That's what we need to learn. That's what we need to grow in. As soon as we can reach across lines and we can learn people's story and their story of hope, we can start connecting with them. And I, and I truly believe that there is division and, and there is is this culture of dividedness in our society because we don't know each other's story and we don't take the time and we're not humble enough to go and ask. And so Kathleen talks about it in this in this interview of what it looks like to have courageous conversations that that reach across these lines and and builds these connections, and she's a master at it. And some of the questions she gives you to ask, and some of the resources she gives. It's just incredible, and and I love her, and she's so fun, and and I hope you all get a chance to meet her. So please, go check out Dallas Casa, see what they're doing, read the articles, read about Kathleen, reach out to her after this interview, shoot her an email, and and say thank you for the wisdom you shared on the Next Generation Leader podcast, and and keep it up. We're with you. We're praying for you. We're behind you, because she's a legend. But here she is, without further ado, Kathleen Laval. Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for being on. I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to just share some wisdom. But first, I want you to start by introducing yourself, who you are, what do you do, what's your mission, what, what are you doing in Dallas?
1: <laughs> Terrific. Well, Zach, first, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be on your, your podcast. My name is Kathleen Lovell. I'm CEO of Dallas CASA, and CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. Hmm. I've been in that role for six years, and prior to that, I I practiced for several decades as a commercial litigator, and also did um, regulatory work. I um, was a partner in a law firm called Jackson Walker.
0: Oh, fun! So, CEO, president of Court Appointed Special Advocates. What what does that mean? A lot of fun words there. What do y'all do? What, what's your mission?
1: Sure. We advocate for children who are in the foster care system. Our volunteers are trained and supervised by our professional legal background, um, coach our volunteers from our community to come in and be effective advocates for children who are in the foster care system. The child welfare system is, as I'm sure you've greatly overburdened and under-resourced. And so what our child advocates do is they are able to be that one constant adult for a child during a frightening time when a child's life is filled with uncertainty and with change. Because of abuse or neglect, they come into a system that really is designed to have them move from one professional to another. So you may start out working with a caseworker in investigations for Child Protective Services, CPS. And then if the child is removed, they may be assigned what they call a conservatorship caseworker. They're not able to go home. Um, that's not a safe option. It's always our, our preferred option that a child right. be reunited. But if it's not possible and, and they end up terminating parental rights. Our child advocates act as that constant that I show up when I say I will adult in a child's life during a time when there is uncertainty and change. The the child welfare system is really designed to have different um, experts at different stages of Specialization for a child. So the first contact may be with a child protective services investigator, um, an investigations caseworker, and then if they come into care because of abuse or neglect, they may then be working with a conservatorship caseworker, and then if it turns out a child is not able to go home because that's not a safe option, um, although it's always the option that we prefer. If it's not a safe option, then a child may be working with an adoption caseworker. So you know there really is a a lot of um, of change and uh Uncertainty going on, and then children also frequently end up moving from one foster care placement to another. So, right. what that casa volunteer does, then, is become um, that that constant, the the adult that uh, a child learns to count on and, and anticipates their visits, right. and and knows that um, they're they're looking after their their needs. Are their educational needs being met? Are their um, therapeutic needs being met? Um, and, you know, are they getting the uh, the physical therapy, any other kinds of therapies a child needs to begin to recover from trauma? Mm.
0: Yeah, I feel like I hear that a lot of kids being bounced around through the foster care system and how hard it is for these kids. And even once they age out of the foster care system, how hard it is for them to enter the real world with the lack of resource. They've kind of been given a, they've been held back a little bit. So I, I was just kind of wondering, sitting here, as you're saying that, what do we do about the foster care system, especially as you hear hearing you say that it, it can be overused, but underfunded, what do, what do we do as leaders, as people in the community? What do we do to help the foster care system out?
1: Well, there's a, there's a lot that, that can be done. I mean, first of all, we can, you know, surround our, our families who are struggling with additional support so that children don't end up coming into the child welfare system, right? Because it's a, it, even those who are leaders in the child welfare system will tell you that, um, you know, a system shouldn't raise a child. And, and so, you know, we have a, a pending lawsuit that's been going on for years now. It's a class action involving kids who are in long-term foster care. Right. And what the judge in Corpus Christi, a federal court judge, ended up determining was that children often exit foster care in, in worse condition than they entered it. Mm. And and that is a, a source of, of of serious concern. And so, I think the best solution is, if a child does need to come into the child welfare system, is to look at making a a permanency plan for that child just as early as possible, doing everything we can to uh, ensure that the maximum opportunity is given for a child to be reunited with their family of origin, Um, no matter how bad the circumstances the child was removed from our children all wanna go home, yeah. <laughs> they just do. Yeah. And uh, if, we, if that's not possible, then to look for relatives who would be able to, to raise a child, um, because then you still have that cultural connection, that familial connection. Right. So I think you know, putting an emphasis on helping our families so that um, we, we don't get into a situation where a child comes into the, the child welfare system due to poverty. I mean that's not a reason to remove a child, and so to provide whatever resources we can to uh, to preserve that family is is a is a top priority. And then in circumstances where you know safety and risk require that a child be removed from home, to to look for relatives um, as as the first option, uh, so that we maintain those um, you know that sense of belonging
0: yeah uh, I mean that's I mean I think the work you' all are doing down there is amazing and i'm sure its it's heavy and there's hard stuff and as a leader your your issues or your problems, not problems, but the difficulties is almost twofold of of dealing with volunteers or the people that work with the kids and dealing with the kids directly so i don't know how much of your job goes straight into the kids, but what are kind of the the challenges in helping out volunteers and also kids and keeping a positive work environment in the midst of the heaviness of the work that you guys might be doing?
1: Well, it, you know, it's a, it's a really inspiring model of service, this CASA right. model, because you, when you think about it in terms of how other nonprofits work, most of them don't have the frontline service being delivered by volunteers. Right. And the real advantage that gives us in terms of what, what benefit we can bring to a child is that you're really bringing into this service the, the standards of our community, the conscience of our community, and so that our children are, are being represented in a way that you would, you would want your own children um, to be supported. And so that's what I really love about the model. I mean, I think of it as, as a, a public, private, and then personal partnership. Um, and that combination, I think, is, is, is very unique. In terms of dealing with the heaviness, um, I, I love that question because it's often kind of a point of resistance when we're recruiting volunteers. We'll frequently hear, you know, very passionate individuals say, well, I just don't see how I, I wouldn't be dragged down by, you know, the, the, the whole subject of child abuse and, and just, or I would, I'd just be so angry. I'd be so outraged. At seeing how a child has suffered, the actual work of a of a child advocate, a, a casa volunteer, is very forward looking and very solutions driven. And so you're not, you're not an investigator. You're not looking back, you know, our volunteers don't have social work backgrounds. They're lawyers, um, you know, for the most part. Um, And, and so, you know, you're, you're under the guidance of a professional um, to make sure that you, you come into this situation feeling like you're well-supported and that you can be the very best advocate for that child. I think one of the, um, You know, points of resistance. You know, I I mentioned folks are worried that they would get dragged down by it. Um, If you talk to someone who actually is a CASA volunteer, they'll get frustrated with the system. It's slow, it's frequently not very responsive, Um, but it's not, they're not getting dragged down by, um, you know, focusing exclusively on what's happened in this child's past. I mean, a good part of What you're doing is, um, you know, empowering that child to to think in terms of their future. Uh, If you just look at the circumstances of a child and you see those as limiting somehow, then you can't be an effective advocate. You have to be able to uh, allow a child to not be defined or restricted by their past. And so, you know, in many ways, you're you're a champion for that child and, and saying, you know, you do have possibilities, you do have promise. There are so many risks that a child is exposed to who grows up in the foster care system. You know, there's a much greater likelihood that they'll drop out of school, you know, teenage pregnancy, substance abuse, homelessness, um, human trafficking. I mean the the risks are, are just overwhelming. Right. Um but the the immediate risk is that a child simply kind of turns off their capacity to hope. Um, And to trust. And and that's where I think our CASA volunteers play a really unique role in reinforcing for a child that, you know, we do have hopes for you. We do have expectations for you. Um, You know, we see the promise in your future.
0: Right. Yeah, that's amazing. I love what you said. And there's a lot of your volunteers come in and they're not necessarily social workers. They don't necessarily have law background, but they love children and they want to help and they want to volunteer. And that's amazing. But I want to ask you how you develop that inner social worker or that inner lawyer in them, you develop their talent at, through their time as, uh, as a CASA volunteer, how do you engage with the staff? How do you empower them to champion their, their child without the background or maybe the education of a, of a social worker or a lawyer? What, what does that look like for you?
1: Well, I think it, um, it starts out, you know, we have extensive training before you ever are sworn in as a, as a court-appointed special advocate. So you go through um, 30 hours of, of training. It's usually in person. Right now during the pandemic, we're doing it entirely online with a blended right. learning system. But it's, um, it covers all of the, the background of the child welfare system, who are the players in that in that system, who are the stakeholders. And how you know what are the resources that are available to you? So, so the first way we empower our advocates is through education. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a uh, online database or resource database that allows you to go in. If I wanted to find a play therapist in Grand Prairie yeah. who who works with um, with uh, you know child abuse survivors, um, you can plug that in, and and uh, you know the resources will will. Come you know, come back to you in a, a list of results. So we provide a lot of um, support for our advocates, and I think that's that's very empowering. And also just making sure that we are 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 guiding you very closely in the early stages of your service, and but also allowing you to develop autonomy as you go further. Right. Um, once you see what sometimes may seem to us like a very small step or a very small contribution, once you see what an immediate impact that has mm. on a child, um, it's self-reinforcing, right? And yeah. so we have um, just amazing examples. We had one situation where an uncle was willing to, to take in his preschool age um, niece, but uh, you know, they didn't have her birth certificate and they needed the birth certificate in order to get her enrolled at preschool. Right. And our volunteer advocates, um intervene because he had um he, he'd gone to the, the, the you know county office to get the birth certificate and it's totally bizarre. They'd run out of the watermarked paper that you print birth <laughs> certificates on. What? <laughs> so and it's like, no, it, this child cannot be sitting at home because we don't have the right paper right. to print the birth certificate. And our volunteer advocates found out that you actually could get the certificate from a county different than the one the child was born in and you know that the uncle just hadn't even thought about that I don't think I would have thought about that but just that that little problem solving they're able to go to another county that didn't run out of paper and (laughs) and and because of that you know that that child is in, in preschool so so a lot of what you 're doing the impact you 're having is happening outside the courtroom. There are right. regularly scheduled hearings for the judge to hear about um, what are the you know the child circumstances what are the challenges being faced right now and is there anything that the court needs to order or prescribe uh, but the actual work of a of a casa volunteer where you have the most impact is actually happening outside the, the courtroom when you're talking to the teachers and finding out, you know, if an educational assessment happened, is a child in the, in the right um, courses? Uh, do we need to do something to expedite the transfer of, of educational records from one school district to another? I mean, a lot of it, as I said, was is really basic problem solving.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, retention through little successes and and creating that ownership in those, Mm -hmm. in those volunteers that makes them want and hunger more. And and so it's not, and that's what I love about what the work y'all do is you don't really have to incentivize your volunteers to come back because of the work they're doing is so rewarding that they just want to. And and that's, I, I love that. And I love the ownership. I love the retention. You just keep them moving, keep them going. Um, but I, I wanna ask you about embracing diversity and, and inclusion in the workplace. It's a hot topic right now with everything going on. And whenever I was talking to Mandy, your executive assistant, I asked her, I was like, what what would be a great topic to, to talk to Kathleen about? What, what is she great at? What is, what is, her leadership capacity bring to the table. And she said, and I quote as a Casa employee, I can say that she excels in inclusivity and creating a positive work culture, even now in difficult times. And that's what people need to know. Executive CEOs need to know how they do that right there, especially during coronavirus, when you're on zoom all the time. And when you're, you're dealing with all the racial deals, how do you excel in inclusivity and creating a positive work culture? What does that look like for you?
1: Well, it helps not to be trying that out for the first time. Right. <laughs> While the crisis is going on, um, we you know, try to promote a culture of, um, you know, inclusivity um, every day uh, and not just in a crisis. And a lot of that, has to do with with communication and with opportunities um, to sh- to share uh, you know to share openly your ideas, um, your constructive criticisms, um, mm-hmm. your reinforcements of of things that you like in in our environment. So every January and February, I do something called live chats, which is just an opportunity to sign up for one on one you know half hour hour sit down and and just Talk to me about, you know, what are the traditions that we do that, that you like? Which ones do you think we should abandon? Right. What um, improvements can we make? Uh, what kind of additional training do you think would be helpful? So so having a pattern of not only just an open door policy on a regular basis, but really structuring into the, the year um, an opportunity to share your ideas, I think is, is important so that all of us feel like we have some kind of an impact on our environment. I think, you know, it's the absence of control or the absence of ability to influence um, our environment and our culture that I think is, um, you know, creates issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have, you know, we're really blessed by tremendous retention and long tenure in our staff. And I think it's because they know that we're invested in each other Right. And that um, we're open to um, new ideas um, and and to providing opportunities for folks to step up and to take on new responsibilities, to take on new roles
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and to show show leadership uh, in ways that you know are particularly meaningful for for you. We have so many of our, our volunteer supervisors. so this is our program staff who who really coach our volunteer advocates, so many of them are just also excellent teachers, and so they participate in our continuing education program and different kinds of training, and I think giving folks the opportunity to, um, you know, to show their talent in in ways that are outside of, of the basic job description, is is a really important way of having folks feel invested in the community, and feel that um you know that they're seen. When you talk about diversity and inclusion in particular, Zach, we we have a cultural competency program that we have uh, been doing you know for every year since since I've been in this position. And what we do, we pick a book or a documentary. Um, to all read or watch and then we we come together we normally do it in person but we did it recently um, through zoom and break down into small group discussions we just did uh, watch the documentary called 13th if you're familiar with it yeah but it's it's absolutely excellent it's an okay. hour and 36 minutes and we we uh it's free you can watch it and and then we had discussion questions that um that mandy moore my executive assistant drafted and and uh had some really meaningful small group discussions and then came back and did a, a readout of what were the top takeaways and mm-hmm. you know those kinds of conversations i what i you know the 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 silver lining on what's going on right now with racial divisions and looking for ways to heal that is that I think there's a lot of humility being expressed um by individuals who haven't been involved in courageous conversations before right. and who have who have thought that you know may have thought that because they don't feel they are themselves racist that they are not in in some way um involved or have any responsibility for, for you know, needing to, to make changes or to support, you know, forward progress, I feel like this is a real a moment, a real opportunity when we have more people, a much more diverse group involved in in conversations. And I think for the first time, we're having a, a broader understanding of what the difference in lived experience is, mm-hmm. and and so to you know to talk to to parents, um, African American children have had to have conversations about what do you do you know if you're pulled over by the police um, to to hear hear about and really understand that the risk of you being pulled over for a routine traffic stop um, in in our poor neighborhoods in our neighborhoods of uh, people of color you know. It's, you know, that percentage likelihood is so much higher.
2: Right.
1: I so I feel like there's a um there's an awakening going on um where where folks of good intention um are are saying I, I want to better understand. Right. You know, I want to better understand um what are the impacts. You know, if I often tell people that when I'm in discussions about um you know, uh, racial tensions and 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 divisions. It, it it's a great exercise to just ask everyone involved to just write a list of the groups that you belong to. You know what what are your affiliations? And many of us, you know, will will list um, our religion. Um, you know, many of you know, I w- I would say, you know, I'm a woman. Um, you know, they uh, may identify. With you know they' undergrad, you know, I'm an alumni of this organization and this academic um environment um and i I can make a really long list before I ever get to white yeah and, and so race is not a lens I look through on a on a daily basis right, and when yeah you know, when I talk to black leaders um you know they'll say, you know, that's a difference. Yeah, That's a difference. I mean, race is something that, um, a lens that they look to on a daily basis. It may just be a, a, a different look they get when they're walking through a department store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, uh, I mentioned the, the, the traffic stops, uh, routine traffic stops, and just to, to really listen to how someone's experience is different than yours is I really think the most important first step to to getting to equity.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's huge. And you mentioned something in there that's I think so important and the people of, I would say, the white culture are either uncomfortable with, or they don't know how to enter into them. But you said you call them courageous conversations, and I think they're so important. And you said it, you mentioned it was after you watched the documentary Thirteenth. But I want to ask you how you enter into these courageous conversations. How do you have these? What do what do we need to know about them in the workplace?
1: Well, I think it's um, important to to give. Some opportunity to get educated first, right. so I mean we do it I mentioned watching the the thirteenth documentary um the mm-hmm. book uh between the World and me is an excellent book to read as kind of a book club discussion we We read um the new Jim crow but I, I think it it's it's better to have something to discuss, to have a, a group of questions to discuss that, that get personal, that get to, you know, how did that affect you when right. you read that or you saw that? So it's not, it, it you don't want it to stay on some kind of an academic superficial level. Right. But I think that makes it easier to enter into meaningful conversations than simply getting a group of people together and saying, what do you think about race? Yeah. Um, you know, what, you know, um, and, and, and a lot of times in particular because there is a tendency um, for, you know, for, you know, as as white individuals to, to just want to exclude ourselves, you know, to want to wanna say I'm not part of the problem um, because you don't have, there's no um, intent at all. But, you know, as, as we continue to hear, just staying out of the discussion is not. is is not the solution. Um, it, it really is about, uh, being involved in, in conversations where you're able to empathize with another individual whose life experiences are not the same as yours. And so I think, you know, having an, an opportunity to, um, to just, uh, share what each other's kind of upbringing has been. And one of the, the questions that, that um that we've asked in our discussions during our cultural competence series is basically how how are your views of race different than your parents or your grandparents and they're, they're all great springboard kinds of conversations to have um and i think you know it has to be it has to be a safe conversation and and one of the ways is that there's a group called project unity that organizes a curriculum dinner and discourse Kind of situation. I've been to several of those where you just randomly place at a table, and the the way it's done and the structure of those conversations is you go around and each person's given a question out of a stack of questions, and they they answer it, and there's no crosstalk. you know there's no feedback.
2: Hmm. And you just
1: let everybody say what um, they want to contribute, what they're willing to share.,
2: yeah.
1: and then when everybody's had a chance to go, then you individually share some reaction. You know, maybe it's just an expression of gratitude to someone for for sharing something that, you know, seemed very deeply personal.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's amazing. And I wanna really equip leaders on how to do that. I think it's something obviously from what Mandy told me, it's something you do very well. So what are just key traits of leaders and leaders leadership in general, but in this topic of uh, of inclusivity in in embracing diversity, what do leaders need to know? What what kind of traits or, or badges do leaders need to wear during this time to really encapsulate inclusion into their workplace? Uh, we know they need to allow space for education, allow space for these these conversations, but but what kind of traits do do leaders need?
1: Well, I think you know the first trait. I think when you're talking about um, embracing diversity and inclusion is is fairness, right? Making opportunities available, and um, you know, making sure that in in your recruitment of talent um, that you're 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 seeking diversity um, diversity in terms of ethnicity, um, but also gender and and experiences, right? I mean, it's a, you get a much richer tapestry right. of talent. Um, when you're being inclusive and, and uh, embracing diversity in, in your hiring and in your promotion um, experiences in, in the workplace, I think more broadly in terms of key traits of, of leadership. And I think they're particularly important now as we go through the, the pandemic and as many of us think about you know, return to the workplace. I just think being willing to um, take early action and, and be very decisive mm. is critical. I think it's a time when many of us are feeling uncertain and um, having a, a leader who doesn't communicate or who is indecisive, I think, is um, uh, destabilizing. Oh,
2: totally. um,
1: so I, I try to communicate often. I send a, a morning message every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have a, a live live chat. We have an um, open mic with Mug discussion every every Monday morning, a Zoom session um, that everyone's invited to participate in. I do a frequently uh, answer questions that gets updated about COVID-19. So I think, you know, it, being willing to, to take that early and decisive action is important. I think being willing to change a policy or decision when the circumstances require it is important. Right. I think, um, you know, being able to take risks uh, mitigate those risks and manage those risks, but you you can't innovate if you're not willing to to make changes. Mm. Uh, And I think that's um, an important trait of a a leader. And I think gratitude and humility are are right up there in terms of, um, you know, recognizing contributions of others, being grateful for what each person brings to the workplace each and every day and and what their individual circumstances, what challenges they may have had to face, um, to really be fully present and 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 productive in that day. You know, we've got parents now who are home with, you know, little kids, and they, yeah. you know, they're they're playing a lot of different roles right now under very very challenging circumstances. And then I mentioned humility. I think. You know, as a leader, you have to be willing to to share credit liberally um, and and often, um, and to uh, you know take responsibility um, frequently. So it it it's about you know recognizing that you didn't get where you are alone, um, and it's a you know the 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 real advances come from everyone feeling that they've got a role that they've got an investment. Um, and that they have some some autonomy um, in in how they 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 execute their duties and responsibilities, right. um, but that they feel inspired to support one another and to um, and to support the cause.
0: Yeah, and I think also it's important to remember that not every conversation trying to include people has to be so heavy. And I think that's such a good reminder from your the Zoom call you just came from before our meeting. Uh, what were they called? The morning meeting?
1: Yeah, open mic with Mug.
0: Open mic with Mug. What, like, what was the question that y'all discussed this morning?
1: Oh, so this morning was great. With the kind of, I tried to pick out one question, just kind of an icebreaker. Um, to to throw out there, and, and people just volunteer to to answer. And the question this morning was: uh, share a favorite simple pleasure from your childhood. Yeah, and it was inspiring it, it, just to hear um, recall with with fondness from their childhood. Last week's question was actually a little bit more unique too, and I highly recommend this um, to folks. And it. Uh, we asked, we asked, how are you alike and how are you different than your parents?
2: Huh? Yeah. And
1: that was really, um, interesting. You know, we had, uh, you know, people would say, well, you know, my mom, she, she really wasn't super into sports or she didn't, you know, want to ride in the convertible at the top down and, know uh, her daughter is just totally the opposite. And yeah. And uh all into the, the outdoors and um you know, just ways that uh I I shared that I I don't iron bed sheets. My mom <laughs> irons bed iron I,
2: bed I sheets. have never even
1: heard of that. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> so, well, she's an amazing ninety seven year old who no is way. destroyed married. But she she really um yeah, she ironed our sheets growing up and then I I don't think I've ever ironed a sheet.
0: That's amazing. We might have to get her on the podcast. Um, yeah. I, I think that's so important because those questions, and it's even the casual questions that can lead to the conversations like something from your childhood, because then you know that my childhood was different than so-and-so childhood that I work for or work with. And I would never have known that without this, this meeting with our boss in the morning. And, and she cultivated that and she allowed us to reach to the other side and understand someone that we work with even better than I thought I did. So I, I don't know. I just am extremely drawn to that. And I'm, I, I think it's so good. Just those simple meetings that are not always like perfectly planned. They're just conversations. You can just create those uh, courageous conversations and casual conversations that lead to unity all across the, the spectrum. I, I don't know. I just love what y'all are doing at Dallas Casa. And I think even going back to empowering the child with, uh, with hope and reminding them of hope. So can you even speak to that about what y'all get to do and then hope for our country that we can, we can as leaders bring unity to this division that we're living in?
1: Well, we frequently talk about our children being resilient. Right. And and that is absolutely true. And that's absolutely inspiring. I just think we have a a two-year-old who got brought into a hospital with multiple, skull fractures and and bruises literally over every inch of his two-year-old body and he'd just been brutally brutally beaten mm. and um, had to have surgery to relieve the swelling in his brain that removed part of his skull and he's been through two surgeries already just came into care and in, um, in April and you know he's moved out of, of of NICU, he went to a regular room, and now he's in a rehabilitation. We have a volunteer advocate who visits him each and every day for several hours, and holds his hand and reads him stories. And it's just you know absolutely inspiring. And I just saw a video of him the other day that would make you cry because he's just the cutest thing, and he's just uh, smiling from ear to ear, and you know doing physical therapy and. You know, we're, we're hopeful that um, he'll be able to recover fully from, from his injuries. But when I talk about children being resilient, I, I, I have to turn it around a little bit when we talk about what are we doing today to, to heal racial division and to, to come together um, to, to unite. And, and in that circumstance, I worry about resilience. Because I don't want us to forget. I don't want us to forget George Floyd. I don't want us to quit hearing "I can't breathe," and and in so many times, um, you know, Rodney King happened a long time ago, extreme case of of police brutality, and and I thought back then we're never going to forget this. We're we're going to do better. Um, We're really going to. um, We're going to be more more vigilant. We're going to make sure that. Um you know you, you don't lose your life for the color of your skin and and yet here we are, and you know uh, looking at uh yet <laughs> more in the series of examples of um, you know young black Americans um, being at risk of, of losing their life and so it's a um, it, it's a moment in time that I really hope we pause. Yeah. And I and I think that it is that one again, kind of silver lining that it's happening during this pandemic because I think there are a lot more of us who are looking at at webinars and and Zoom casts and, and 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 just thirsty for for knowledge um, and understanding. It's not just knowledge; it's understanding and compassion. And so, I hope that that we as adults are are not that we don't get over this. We don't get over this too quickly. We don't get over it at all, that we really use it as, as a catalyst for, for actual change. Yeah,
0: I, I think it's huge. And resilience and even just the resilience of a child. And, and we can get through this. We can pull together. We can, we can unify and we can. We just have to have the hope. We can look back on on the past and see what's happened. And we don't want that to be the, the course of our future and where we go from here. But I think that, I mean, that's an amazing word. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Last question. It's my favorite. I love asking leaders this question um, as we end we're we're quickly uh, approaching the end of our time, and I wish I could spend two more hours asking you questions. but what advice would you give to your twenty year old self the the twenty year old that's listening to this what advice would Kathleen tell twenty year old Kathleen back in the day? not that <laughs> okay. long ago it, like I mean I know about <laughs> much has changed it's like A two moment, three years ago moments
1: ago. <laughs> A Okay, I'm joining your fan club, Jack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I I think um, the advice I would give is it's to surround yourself with with individuals who are optimistic. Mm. I really think that um, you know when we're engaged with with individuals, or are working with individuals, when um, we're socializing with individuals who are hopeful that um, we bring out so much, uh, you know, that, that lies within Mm -hmm. Um, and that it's, uh, it's, you know, just to to bring gratitude to every moment um, I think Mm -hmm. just is uh, such a um, powerful solution to, to many of um, the challenges around us. I think also to, to my 20 year old self, I would say you know don't don't try to take stock too often or too early. You know, try to have that long longer range perspective, uh, particularly about the experiences you're having, um, the opportunities for advancement you're given. Um, try to try to think long term. Try not to make too close a comparison. You know, it, it's it's a um, it's it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. Right. And uh, you know, I think to um, to look, you know, positively, and what experiences am I gathering, um, and what am I, um, what what challenges am I um, presenting to myself? What risks am I taking? Um, yeah. To really be be focused uh, on on really your your individual contributions rather than kind of seeing yourself in comparison to oh wow you know they've already gotten their masters or they've already, you know yeah. they, they they've had this kind of experience, um, early in their profession that I haven't had yet, uh, to, to really, um, stay positive and stay focused on, on your own progress.
0: Wow. Well, uh, that's so important. Surround yourself with people who are optimistic and know it's a long game. Don't compare yourself to those around you. Surround yourself with those positive people and be the positive person that surrounds other people. Uh, but Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it means the world to me.
1: Thank you, Zach. I appreciate this opportunity. Take care.